Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. Nehemiah, we're going to be starting chapter 1, but while you're turning there, we oftentimes look at men and women in the Bible, um, and how we look at them will determine how we respond to what we're reading. Um, I'll give you a for instance, I'll give you a for instance. Uh, we oftentimes look at guys like Moses, Paul, the Apostle Paul, look at guys like Noah or Jonah and think, man, these guys were extraordinary. These guys did incredible things for God because they were just extraordinary men. And I think it robs us of, of, of our ability to allow God to use us because we think they're extraordinary. For instance, like, like we look at biblical characters like we look at Michael Jordan or Steve Jobs or even Mozart. And, and just to kind of work this out with you, um, Michael Jordan was the best player in the NBA of all time. Of all time, Michael Jordan was. Now, there are some people that will come up to me and start talking about LeBron James and say, you know, LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time. But um, I'll tell you, if you come to me uh, today and tell me LeBron James beats out Michael Jordan, well, we're just going to have to escort you out because it's just not true. We're going to call the elders. We're going to call the elders. We're going to convene church discipline because it's just not true. Um. Michael Jordan had such a talent that it extended beyond his time. It, it wasn't just special for his time. It was special for all time. Um, Steve Jobs. Now, if you don't know who Steve Jobs is, he was the founder of Apple. And Steve Jobs was smart enough that he created a product that he would just tweak and everybody would rebuy it. How many of you have an iPhone? Anybody have an iPhone? Okay. A lot of people have an iPhone. He created a product that, that everybody will spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars for just because the camera tweaked a couple megapixels. It's crazy. Um, and Mozart, look, I love, um, I love Luke, our worship leader. Um, he does a great job, sings great. I love uh, Rascal Flats. I listen to a lot of Rascal Flats and the Gaither Vocal Band. Um, Leonard Skinner, any Leonard Skinner fans? Yeah. Some of y'all look like, don't raise your hand in church. I can't admit to this. It's okay. Safe place. Safe place. But in 200 years, I doubt we'll be talking about Leonard Skinner. I doubt we'll talk about uh, the Gaither Vocal Band. But Mozart made music that has transcended time. And so we look at these guys and we say, you know what? They, these are extraordinary human beings and we look at people in the Bible the same way. But what I, what I want you to kind of shift is how we look at the people in the Bible. Because I, if I can't emphasize it enough, they were ordinary. 
There was nothing extraordinary about any of these men. Um, Peter was a consummate failure. He, he messed up constantly. Jonah ran from God. He thought he could outrun the Lord. Um, Moses got so angry he killed a guy. So listen, these guys experienced the same emotions. They, they operated with many of the same weaknesses you and I share. But God uses, and I, and, and I want you to underline this, and if you want to follow along, you can follow along in the outline in your bulletin. But being ordinary does not keep God from using us. I don't want you to leave today and think, well, we're talking about this guy named Nehemiah, and so this guy must have been extraordinary, right? That's why he made it in the Bible. He was extraordinary. And what I would tell you this morning is that he was ordinary, but he allowed God to use him. Um, In his failures, in his strengths, all of it, he just wanted to be used by God. And so God uses ordinary people. And I don't want you to, to think that just because you, you aren't super talented in some sort of way, that God can't use you right where you are. In your workplace, in your families. There's nothing so ordinary about you that God says, oh, I'm going to pick somebody else. He wants to use you. He wants to use, hey, point, touch yourself in the chest. Yeah, you. He wants to use you. Um, So let's recap a little bit. We started last week, we're walking through the whole book of Nehemiah. Now this guy, Nehemiah, was a cupbearer for the king. This means that he tried, he tasted the wine to make sure that it wasn't poisonous or bad so that the king only got the very best, nobody could kill the king. Um, And so one day, Nehemiah, uh, who has been separated from his people, separated from his homeland. He's 800 miles away, and he gets news from his brother, his friend, that the walls of his hometown had been destroyed and that his people were suffering. Nehemiah gets crushing news about his people and his home. And what we read was that it took his legs out from under him. Have you ever gotten news that way? News that just took your legs out from under you. This was Nehemiah. And the crazy thing was, what we talked about was that he was 800 miles away, living in a palace. He didn't know any of those people in this town. But yet he felt crushed by the news. And the Bible even says that he wept and prayed. Wept and prayed. And prayed for, and he fasted, he mourned uh, for days. And so we decided to ask the question is this prescriptive or descriptive? Everybody say prescriptive. You have to ask while you're reading the Bible is this telling me a story or is this God trying to tell me to do something? You know there's a difference, right? Like, like, for instance, when we read about Paul raising people from the dead, we talked about this last week. When, when he talks about raising people from the dead, he doesn't expect you to go to, to, to more sets up the road here and just get up, everybody. He doesn't, he's not, that's not the expectation. He's just describing what had happened. However, 
here in this story, we have to ask the question, does God need us to feel empathy and compassion for those around us? Because we, we live in a society where we don't feel very much. We don't feel at all, really. We kind of become numb to it. And so we, we said last week that this was prescriptive. God wants us, wants you, to feel. You know what you feel right now? Awkwardness. You feel that? Everybody can feel the awkwardness when I, when I get quiet, but we tend to not be able to feel compassion and empathy when we see someone who's hurting. Because we would say, oh, well, if they had lived life the way I had lived life, if they made decisions like I made decisions, then, then they wouldn't be where they are. Well, that's not the Christian stance. That not, that's not what marks a Christian. In fact, we, we said last week, and then, and then we're going to jump into today, that a big vision of God and a right picture of ourselves will develop in us the empathy that marks God's people. If you say you belong to God, you should be marked by how you feel and respond to others in need. There will be, be many people that would be able to walk by and just ignore it and just act like you know, it's not a big deal. But we should feel and see people the way God sees people. Feel for others the way God feels for others. And, and the way we develop that is by knowing who God is and where he stands, and then understanding where we are and where we stand. That we're sinners. We, we, we're working this thing out, trying to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us what God has for us. And God is big, and he's good, and he is faithful. He is faithful to you. Um, so going on to today, um, we're going to move on to chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 4. We're going to read here for a minute. Um, but this week, we're going to talk about prayer. Anybody good at prayer? You're like, I'm, I'm the Michael Jordan of prayer. Anybody in here? Yeah, okay, good. Right crowd. Good, I hope you didn't come for a back rub this morning. Um, we're just going to dive in. So read with me. Chapter 1, we're going to start here in verse 4. When I heard this, so when he heard this news, this bad news, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, this is Nehemiah, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see uh, me praying night and day for all your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations you gave us through your servant, Moses. Please remember what you told your servant, Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are ex exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. 
The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Listen to this, verse 11. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making... Now, now he's transitioning, so pay attention. This is going to transition to the part of the story we're at today. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. So picture this. Nehemiah has entered the king's palace into the king's room. He's about to serve him some wine. And then here it says, I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so bad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Let me pause and then we'll finish reading. How does the king know that Nehemiah is not sick, physically sick? Well, because he's serving him wine. Look, if, if you're serving the king wine, you're not going to roll up to the king with his cup of wine and go, it's fine, your highness, it's, everything's going to work out. No, he knows he's fine. He'd never been sick before him. And the king notices he's sad. So then, look at this, then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. So the king asked, well, how can I help you? If you underline, highlight, this is where I want you to do it. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now, that's it for today as far as reading. We're going to come back next week. We'll start in 2 verse 5. There are two types of prayer here. And I think it's important that we understand before God can can work and move and, 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 and... the kind of starter point for that is prayer. The starting point throughout history. See, we have a tendency as Christians to say that Christianity today is just on its way out, right? We watch the news, we look at culture, and we say, uh, Christianity's on the decline for the first time in history. You know, God is just, people don't take God seriously anymore. But the fact is, if you read history, how many, do you like history? Anybody? I asked this last week. We've got a few history people. Christianity has done this thing since Christ died. You would have a group of people that would draw near to God, and he would draw near to them. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. And so it, it will even mimic in your personal lives 
You'll notice when you draw near to God and you lean in, you get to church, you hang around your Christian brothers and sisters, you pray, you read your Bible, all of a sudden you feel God's presence. But as you drop away from those things, all of a sudden you don't feel God as much. Christianity has been that way. But what we see, and it's, we see it in Acts 2, where people were in this upper room, they were praying. And the presence of God fell. And people were saved, not by the ones and twos and threes, but by the thousands. Because people were yearning for God, they were praying for God. So there are two types of prayer here. Um, and we see it happen in the Great Awakening, the first and second. We see it in Azusa Street in the early 1900s. Listen, when people pray, God responds. Don't leave here and miss that. When you pray, God will respond. So, there are two types of prayer. We're going to cover them very quickly because there's something stirring in me, and it's been stirring in me for about a week and a half, and I've just got to tell you what the Lord's put on my heart. The first is a quiet time. We see this first prayer that Nehemiah prays. And, and this first type is a quiet time. That's what they used to call it. They, they would tell us growing up that you need to get away and you need to set aside a portion of your day to pray. This is what Nehemiah was doing. And he not only did it for just 30 minutes on a Monday morning, he did it for days. He set aside time to fast and to pray. Consecrated, set aside, just communion time with God. Now, this, this is the most lacking prayer in, in, in today's church. We cannot pray for any length of time. And look, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'll be in my office praying. I was in my office this morning praying. I typically take my phone. I set it on the other end of the desk. I'm 10 minutes into prayer. My phone goes off, and I immediately think, oh, I need to check that. I need to check that, make sure. All of a sudden, I, I, I can only get 5, 10 minutes into prayer. You probably felt this when you're trying to pray. That you can't get any length of time without getting distracted. We have the most distracted society in the entire world. And if you're wondering what, I, I think, personally, let me step over here. Carl thinks distraction is the number one way the devil keeps you from getting as much God as you need. And it comes in different forms. The devil knows if he can distract you, he can keep you from what God has for you. So listen, quiet time was the uh, first prayer we see here. But then there's another type. There's another type here. In verse 4, he says, the king asks, how can I help you? And then he says, with a prayer to the God of heaven. This is what we call a on-the-fly prayer, a shotgun prayer. Now, some of us are a little better at these. Now, how serious you are about them fluctuates probably because I'm not talking about uh, somebody slammed on their brakes and, and you use God's name in probably a way you should not. In front of, yeah, yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about on the fly using his name in ways that it wasn't designed to be used. I'm talking about 
I've prayed and prayed and prayed for this doctor's appointment I've got coming up. And then as you get ready to enter the doctor's room, you say, God, listen, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm listening. Can you just take care of this? Now, both are necessary. Quiet time. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you're not a Christian if you don't have these down pat. But what I am saying is your your Christian walk would look much differently. For those here this morning who are here out of routine, but you have this stirring, this desire for more of God, and you wonder how you get there, prayer. Start there. That's where it starts. Because our relationship with God was always meant to be relational, not cold and calculated. So, now, let's, let's just make this a, a, just a safe place, okay? Safe place. How many of you just nail the quiet time? It's okay if you, yep, you nail it. Um, how many of you are better at quiet time than on the fly? Wow, I've got a one-way crowd this morning. That's good. I know where I'm leaning now. Now, most of us can get an on-the-fly prayer out. Am, am I right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think about it in terms of marriage, too. Me and Kirsten have times throughout the month where we'll sit down and we'll just talk. Talk about ourselves, where we're at. We'll talk about our house, our finances. Um, but, it, but if we only had those sit-down long talks and never had, like, on the fly, uh, and especially since we've had Macy, um, these, these sporadic, just in the moment, hey, catch up. Um, we would be in trouble. We would be in trouble because we would get lost in between the quiet times. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God desires to hear from you. Nehemiah gets it. And let me tell you, he's not a Michael Jordan, okay? He's, Nehemiah's like the white guy on the bench that's just really excited about what's going on. Have you seen that guy? I just went to a game recently where this, uh, or maybe I was watching on TV. I can't remember. I think I was at the game, and I saw this little guy. They never put him in the game, but he was the most excited dude there. So he was nothing extraordinary. Nehemiah was nothing extraordinary. But he knew how to pray. He knew how to pray. So, before, before I move on, I just want to let you know that you're, you will either, either live your life or your life will live you. Okay? So, if you're waiting, you're like, okay, Carl, I, I want to pray. I'll get some prayer in. Uh, I'll just wait till the end of the day, wait till a window opens. And then I'll, I'll, I'll dive in, I promise. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And, and can I tell you, that's not what happens. Never happens that way. Whenever we find ourselves with this free spare change of time, what do we do? We go to something else. We, we go. It is not your knee-jerk reaction to go to the Lord. And you need to understand that. You need to recognize it. Because if you don't, then you'll never address it. But it is not. It is not. Look, listen to me when I say that. It is not your knee-jerk reaction to turn to the Lord. And it should be. 
As long as I'm in this body, I'm going to wrestle, and the devil will wrestle me to get me to turn away from him and turn to my phone, turn to my TV, turn to sports, turn to anything else. So it makes me wonder, how is Nehemiah able to pray this way? How is he able to do it? And so... What I, what I want you to see here is that Nehemiah is able to pray this way because of what his strongly held beliefs about God are. You know what changed the way I pray? Can I tell you? What, my view of God changed and my prayer changed. For instance, if I'm looking for a healing... I'm not going to pray to Woody Jones for a healing. No, nope. I won't pray to my wife. If I, if I was going to, if I was going to pray to somebody, it, it, affects, it affects how I pray and what I believe about God. For instance, if you believe God is a healer, it will affect how you approach him about your healing because you know something about God. If you believe God is a provider... It will change how you pray to him. So instead of just checking this box that I've prayed this morning, all of a sudden you begin to contend with the creator of the universe for your soul, for your families. It's all about who you're talking to. And Nehemiah, can I tell you something? Nehemiah knew who he was talking to. And the reason, where he gets his belief, he gets his beliefs about God through Scripture. Here he said in verse 8, please remember what you told your servant Moses. So I got curious. I was like, well, where did he get this? Well, he got it from Deuteronomy. In chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, verse 9, it says this. Listen. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is faithful He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. He is literally praying and regurgitating the word of God. You know why? Because his situation wasn't reflecting it. His people were scattered. His, His family, his friends, his descendants, they were destroyed. And here he is praying God's word to encourage his heart. He gets it from Deuteronomy. If you flip on back to chapter 4, starting in verse 35 of Deuteronomy, this is what he says. In the future, when you have children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, do not corrupt yourselves by making idols of any kind. This is evil in the sight of the Lord your God and will arouse his anger. Today I call on heaven and earth as witnesses against you. If you break my commandment, listen, listen to what happened. You will quickly disappear from the land you are crossing, the Jordan to occupy. You will live there only a short time, then you will be utterly destroyed. For the Lord will scatter you among the nations, where only a few will survive. There, in a foreign land, you will worship idols made of wood and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. God knows it. Listen, 
God knew right here, there's going to come a time when you turn from me, and this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. You're going to turn. You're going to worship other idols. You're going to worship other things. And here we're talking about things made of wood or, or in stone. But what things have we turned to as a culture, as a church, as a, as a people that we're now worshiping more than God? And then we wonder where God is when we were the ones that turned to begin with. But I love verse 29. It says, but from there you will search again for the Lord, your God. Listen to this. Somebody needs to hear this today. Listen. And if you search with him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. You will find him. This is where he finds it. Um, A lot of people would say, man, the Bible is really convenient that it says that in both places. Um, uh, somebody must have arranged that. Let me tell you about the Bible. The Bible was written by f- over 40 different authors, over thousands of years, many different languages in three continents, all proclaiming the same thing about God. There's nothing convenient about the Bible. It's divine. It's God orchestrated for you. Nehemiah's confidence came from the word of God. This is where we should draw our confidence. Not from an experience, not from, not from me, listen, not from this pulpit. Your confidence should come from here and knowing who God is. There's always been an ebb and flow to God making moves amongst his people. And I talked about a few of them just now, but there was one common theme. One, they were not extraordinary people. Before every move of God that this country has seen, that the Bible saw, it was ordinary people who were hungry for the Lord and they went after him in prayer. Ordinary people hungry for the Lord. After him in prayer, renewal and rebuilding start with prioritizing prayer. I'm convinced of something today. Can I tell you what it is? That if you pray, God responds. Now, for some of you, you're like, man, this is, you know... Prayers never helped me. I would say to you that maybe you're praying the wrong way. (laughs) Or maybe you're praying to a different God. Maybe you're praying to a God who's there for your ease of access, who's there to bail you out. If that's the God you're praying to, you might not be getting the responses you're looking for. It's one verse that comes to my mind. Second Chronicles, so just a couple books back, I want to read something to you. Um, in chapter 7, in verse 14, listen to this. This is the Lord's response. The Lord is talking to Solomon, and he says, Then, 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. Where am I going with this? I don't want Transformation Church to be a place where we're just checking boxes. I want to see the miraculous. I I don't want to just baptize people two, three, four at a time. I want to see God. I want to I want to cling so close to I want to pray to this God that we say we believe in in such a way that he responds by flooding this place with people who need him. And their lives are changed in an instant. I, I want to get to the place where we don't even have a baptism plan, but the altars are flooded with people who need the Lord, and we baptize them on the spot. I want our church to be a place where people come in addicted to drugs and leave whole without a desire. Where marriages that, that weren't whole at one time, God restores and renews. And I want my life, I want Carl's life. So let me just talk about me for a second. I want my life to be lived and I want to pray in such a way that it moves God. (laughs) There's a story in here, and I won't go to it right now because we've got to do communion. There's a story where God was going to kill all the Israelites. He just got fed up with them. He got fed up with the Israelites. He said, these these people of mine, they just can't get it right. And Moses, hear this. Moses got on his knees before the Lord and pleaded. The Bible says pleaded on behalf of his people. the The Bible says it moved God to not act. I want to see God do something amazing in this place. He's already doing amazing things. So let, let, let me be very clear. God is already working and moving. Nehemiah wanted to see the walls. He wanted to see God's city restored. God's presence restored. And it starts with prayer. So listen, if you can't today, if you're, you're in a place where um, you want to make a commitment today to pray, I want you to pray. I want you to start praying this morning for September 29th. I want you to start praying this morning for the people you're inviting to be here. Because it is my prayer, and it is currently my prayer, that when they get here, the presence of God is so strong in this place, they can't leave the same. Wow. What if we started praying for it now? What if we started pleading with God to allow the Holy Spirit to move on those who we're inviting? And if you haven't picked someone to invite yet, I want you to pick them right now. Who is it? Who needs the Lord? Who needs to be in church that, that maybe you don't know, that, that, that's in your circle, that don't know the Lord? They need, to, they need God. I want to pray for them today. I want to ask God to move. I want to ask God to use us as a church 
in bigger ways. But if you're going to make a commitment today, let me, let me give you some suggestions. Don't leave here and say, you know what, Carl? I'm going to commit to praying an hour a day, every day. Don't say that. You know why? Because you're going you're gonna to set that, you're going to fail, and then you're just going to stop. Here's what I will say. Give God 10 minutes. We've all got it. Give God 10 minutes. Set it aside. Put it on your calendar. And I'm not talking about praying as though God doesn't hear you. Or praying to a God who doesn't care. I want you to take 10 minutes and contend and plead with the God of all creation who hears you, that the Bible says inclines his ear unto you. I want you to ask him to move in your life, in the lives of your family, in the lives of your grandkids, in the lives of the people that you're inviting. I want you to pray to God like he's real. And not just somebody we, we just talk about on Sundays. Look, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of trying to do that breeze by prayer as if God doesn't hear. As if God doesn't have the power to stop the things that I'm praying for. So we're going to try it. We're going to practice. Can we practice real quick? We're just going to pray. I'm going to have my leaders go ahead and come up, and then we're going to take communion. But as they come forward, I want every head bowed and every eyes closed. Every eye closed. And I don't want you to listen to me pray. I don't want you to listen to the person next to you. If you're in this place today, God wanted you here to hear this. He wants to commune with you. He wants to talk to you. So as I pray, would you just beckon the Father of glory with me? God, we're so grateful for your bigness, for your faithfulness, that you are a covenant-keeping God, that even though my circumstances around me may not feel like the promises you've promised me, but I know you will keep them in due time. I thank you that you hear me when I pray. And God, that I can bring you everything. I can lay it at your feet. And my prayer today, Father, in faith, is that you would respond to the prayers of your people. God, those who were inviting to coming home service, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would begin to work in their hearts even now, God, even this Sunday morning, that they would be here, they would come, and they would respond to you. They would respond to you. Lord, that's our prayer today. It's our desire to see you move and work. And as we witness here in the book of Nehemiah, when we pray, you not only hear us, God, but you do respond. Sometimes not in the ways we want, but you do respond. So, Father, as we take communion today, Lord, would you, 
open our hearts. Reveal in us, God, the things that we need to cleanse, sin. Forgive us, God, understanding that that you are great and we need you. In Christ's name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.